crowd dancing. I want you to keep them feet moving. I'm going to make sure there ain't no malingering in this crowd. You hear that? That's an order. Chief is on the scene. Bring it up there, please. Will you ever? Yes, once in a generation, the voice arrives that speaks for all men. Now, here it is, the star of our show, and the voice of the generation of marchers towards the great sea of eternity. And now, here he is, the star of our show, here he is. Hello, gang. I'm back, and I want to tell you... If you notice that I have a bad cold, you hear that sound, Herb? Does it sound too bad in there? I want you to know this is no ordinary cold, and I hope you appreciate it. I mean, there's nobody in America uh, like a New Yorker who appreciates really elegant, uh, sophisticated uh, imported goods, right? We love imported things here in, in the, the Big Apple. And you're listening to a genuine Swedish cold. Just brought it over. And uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, they're 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 virulent. But uh, I just got back. I've been back for about two or three days. And uh, where was I? Well, I was all over Sweden, actually, from Stockholm to uh, Linköping. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the Swedish names the way the Swedes pronounce them. Uh, Jönköping, badly pronounced, but an interesting town. Trollhaven. And uh, these, you know, great towns. And uh, Gothenburg, which is a lovely place, incidentally. You you were there, weren't you, Herb? That's a beautiful city, really. And a uh, little time in uh, Norway. And uh, a couple of very, very interesting moments in Denmark. <laughs> now, uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't do travelogue type stuff. But I'll tell you this. For those of you who have never been to... Uh, to uh, Scandinavia, and I was only in Scandinavia once before, very briefly. Uh, there is a part of our country that looks very much like Scandinavia, and if you've ever been in the upper area of uh, Minnesota, upper Minnesota, uh, up around uh, places like, uh, well, Bemidji, uh, up north to International Falls, this is, it looks almost exactly, at least from the air. It looks uh, like uh, Minnesota, Sweden. It looks uh, just about like that. Now, when you fly in, uh, in, in the case of the flight that I took, you fly into first Norway. You land at a small town in Norway. And uh, as you come in over the coast of Norway, about 7 o'clock, maybe 6.30 in the morning, I don't think there's a more beautiful approach from the sea anywhere in the world than that uh, that flight that, that as you come in from the uh, uh, come in from the Atlantic and you begin to see these very small islands there there are a few very rugged completely bare islands that uh, that are kind of flung out to sea from the Norwegian coast and as you come slanting in and make that big left hand turn as he comes into the pattern in this little uh, airport on the coast of Norway it is one of the most spectacular uh, scenes probably this side of, of flying into Juneau, Alaska. It's just magnificent, green, and uh, Norway is a is a is a completely uh, felicitous country. At least what I saw of Norway, and from the times I've spent in Norway, just just a great country. Now, 
Sweden is is is, is another thing. They're, they're, they're historically, uh, you know, you could you could get into a lot of fights about Sweden, and uh, and many people do. <coughs> oh, this doesn't work, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting is, excuse me, if I if I blew a virus out of your Japanese transistor radio in your direction. Now, of course, if you have a high fidelity radio, you have a higher chance of getting a cold. You know that, because most of the uh, filterable virus are in the higher frequencies. In case you're curious, if you have a good tweeter there, you'll have already be sick. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, like many countries, especially Sweden is is a uh, is is a country that. That if you have any sense of history, and many people in America, unfortunately, history is a thing that many people don't read. They simply are not interested in history. They don't know about history, and they're not uh, they're not involved in it. And if they do read history, that's uh, generally it's the history of uh, of uh, the Napoleonic Wars. It's the kind of stuff we're brought up on in in high school and college. We're brought up on on uh, the Punic Wars. Uh, we read a great deal about uh, about the Civil War. But not many people read contemporary history. For example, uh, what was the position of Sweden during World War II? Uh, that's a pretty fascinating subject, and especially if you ask a Norwegian about it. So, <laughs> so you find you find a lot of uh, a lot of contradictory things in, in in all the countries. And if you have if you have an ear to history, you can you can hear those little ringing notes. Uh, as you probably are aware, there's a great a great uh, it's it's a hard phrase to use it uh, they say anti-american in in uh, sweden it's something else it's uh, it'll have to have another word to define it uh, uh, let's say a there's an antipathy towards americans and uh, towards uh, just america in general and uh, oddly enough you won't find this in norway and uh, the Norwegians, of course, have a great antipathy in many ways towards the Swedes. So uh, wherever you go, there's there's a push and tug and and a pull of uh, of forces that you can't escape. But there's to, to forget all that. Uh, you 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 have some some very interesting. At least I have some very interesting uh, momentary flashing impressions of countries. For example, some of the best food I've ever had in my life, I had in Sweden. Now, uh, you can you can just you know if if you if you love to eat, I'll tell you, Sweden is incredible. Uh, in fact, uh, went to a to a restaurant uh, here about a week ago in uh, in a cellar. In fact, a 15th century cellar in uh, Stockholm. Had these old cellars that uh, that were uh, really part of the foundation of buildings that go back uh, hundreds of years, and uh, they've they've done a lot with them. They they. They've uh, painted them and cleaned them and put the ancient uh, decorations in them. They're very. You, were, were you in any of those herbs? Some of those underground places. Well, uh, this particular cellar, I was taken to by a group of guys. We all went down at a big table, and uh, they they brought out the wine, and and that night we had reindeer, but reindeer steaks. This was really a reindeer fillet, very finely sliced. With a uh, with a thin cream truffle sauce, incredible. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I never was a truffle cuckoo. Uh, at at no point did I ever, uh, you know, <laughs> truffle. I mean, that was one of those things. You know, I I don't wake up at night uh, three in the morning with an intense desire to have a truffle. But I can only say this: that this particular thing at that particular time, that particular moment, 
was uh, almost painfully great. Uh, and, and everyone sits around, and the, 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 the Swedes are very American uh, in, in many ways. Maybe, maybe it's the fact that we are closely allied. The, the, the relationship between the American and the Swede, uh, you don't even feel much like you're in a foreign country when you're in Sweden. Uh, in most of the most of the places you go, it's a very very. You have a feeling of familiarity. Now, uh, in Sweden, however, there is one site. I, mu I must say this. Uh, There's a personal observation. One site, and and you know that uh, any of you who've listened to me for any length of time, you know that I've traveled around the world a half dozen times, and I've been all. In fact, probably in uh, in in a hundred countries around the world. There's one site in Sweden that has to be well it is it's the most unusual site I've ever seen anywhere in the world now by unusual I mean it stands alone it's a unique site truly a unique site and uh, I'll tell you what it is it's a uh, you probably have heard something about it. I heard about it before I went over there but uh, the reality of it is, is beyond uh, what you can conceive uh, it seems that back in the uh, Back in the uh, 17th century, the 1600-some-odd years, back in 16-something, uh, Stockholm uh, and Sweden, they were involved in a war that was going on on the continent, and a lot of ships were being built in Stockholm. It was a big port at the time, and a lot of shipbuilding was going on there. And they built a ship, this uh, big man-of-war. It was the first ship of the line. I mean the Captain Horatio Hornblower thing. I mean a real ship. Ship of the line, 40 guns. And uh, she was built in Stockholm and completely outfitted, completely stocked. Uh, and the, the crew came aboard this morning, and they, they arrived. There was 130 of them aboard with their families. That's the strange thing. It was a big celebration. You know, it was a whole big uh, uh, launching of the boat and the... Uh, and a dedication of it, and a ceremony, and the whole business. And the boat was launched, and it moved downstream about a mile, uh, right off Stockholm. Stockholm's on this big estuary there. It's kind of like a big river, brackish water, really. It's not really salt water, nor is it uh, fresh water. But it's quite cold, and that's important to the story. And uh, incidentally, all, all of Sweden is quite cold. And so, uh, as the, the boat moved down, on the day that it was launched, went downstream about a mile, and uh, they, were, they were preparing to disembark uh, some of the family and so forth, when suddenly the boat capsized. Uh, it had been loaded wrong. The, uh, ba the ballast had been, had been not properly balanced. There was too much weight above water, not enough below, and this ship was completely crewed up and completely outfitted just turned turtle and sank uh, many lives were lost and the ship went down uh, in in uh, in fairly uh, fairly uh, shallow water comparatively maybe 60 feet or so uh, dark uh, very uh, cold turgid water just sank and it was gone on its opening day and the ship remained under the water, under the under the surface of the of the estuary. There, it, it stayed there for for well, all these years, hundreds of years. And about 1967 or 66, there was a uh, a student, uh, a, actually a teacher at the University of Stockholm, who was who was going through old records and stuff. He was writing history of Stockholm as a seaport, and he came across the story of this ship. 
and he figured out where it was, where it could be, and uh, they, they, they got a couple of skin divers, and they began to dive on it, and they found it. Not only did they find it, but they found it intact. The ship was preserved completely because of the kind of water that was there and all the various conditions that did not uh, get attacked by sea parasites which didn't exist in this water. And here was this fantastic ship laying on the bottom of the sea there, and they raised it. They, uh, they, and the day that it came up, uh, up uh, I, I was, a friend of mine, a Swedish friend of mine, was there. He says, you wouldn't believe it. He said, they, here they were. There was 2,000 people all down by the shore there. And they had these, uh, these big flotation boats and stuff out there and cranes and that. And he said, they, they were all waiting, you see. The, the boat was, they, they, they were loudspeakers, the thing is coming up. And all of a sudden, it broke water. He said, great uh, waves. And he said, the, uh, the, the stern of this boat came up out of the water. And it was not just a boat, you know. It's, it's got tremendous carvings. The this is a, this is a 16th, 17th, yes, I know. This is a 17th century boat. And it's covered with carvings all over. Tremendous carvings, gargoyles, and, and the mythological figures, and great crests, and coats of coat of arms. And he said, this thing came out of the water. And he said, the entire crowd cheered. He says, fantastic moment. Well, uh, here was this, this giant fiasco, this sunken ship, which reminds me, this is WOR, New York. Uh, this, uh, this giant <laughs> ship, uh, they pulled it up out of the water. Now, here's the site, though. The site is, is that's, that's just part of the story. Uh, now, the, the ship, it's called the Vasa. That was its name. It was a, it's a name of a royal family in the Sweden. It was the, the Vasa, ship of the line. And when, when the thing was pulled out of the water, when it was just when it was raised, they, of course they found all this, this, uh, this stuff aboard. It was actually all the stuff. There was, there was, in fact, even a container of rum that was still sealed aboard this ship. And the, the diver who pulled this thing out, he, uh, he opened it up and, and tried it. He took a swig of his 300-year-old rum. Uh, they also found containers of butter that were still there and, uh, you know, in, in, in recognizable condition, clothing and, and uh, all kinds of things. Of course, there were skeletons of the crew. Uh, they found all the guns and uh, the whole thing. But now the ship is sitting there. Now, this very minute, tonight, they've built on the shore, right? This is right down on the, on the uh, docks, down on the docks next to a beautiful park in Stockholm, which incidentally is a lovely city. They've got this very modern building. It's a, it's a, like a big glass slab with a with a bow that it, it kind of bows down in the middle, and uh, it's a, it's a totally enclosed building. There is this building standing on the shore, and you come in on a platform, and they they put the ship up. The ship is standing up inside this building, but it's being sprayed 24 hours a day with a special hot. Uh, steam spray that just sprays down on this ship because if the ship dried out, it would obviously crumble. It, uh, it would not. Uh, it would no longer be in existence as it is now. And so here's the ship sitting all entirely, and in, in it's in its and it's huge. It's just staggering the size of it. That's the first thing that throws you. The thing is about 300 and some odd feet long. It's a big ship for starters, and it has a tremendous hull that goes deep down because it's, it, it, was a, it drew a lot of water. Tremendous round hull, about four or five decks. This thing towers above you, 
But the curious sense of it being alive is a strange feeling. You don't think of things that... It's, it's not like a museum piece. It's like it's, it's there, and it is there. And all the while, this, this water is spraying all over it and running down the sides of it. And the Swedes walk around and look at it, and, and uh, there's a, a curious, eerie thing. It's the only, the only thing that I can think of that remotely approaches it in that same eerie feeling is uh, quite possibly the pyramids in, uh, in Egypt. It's about the only thing I can think of in the world. Uh, Angkor Wat is a little like that, too, in the Far East. But this sense of, of, uh, of, of just being alive is, is eerie. Now, that, 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 uh, that's, uh, that's one side. And uh, did you see this ship when you were over there? You really missed a curious sight. It's, uh, if you go to Stockholm and you don't see this thing, you're really missing one of the most unusual sights in the world. Before we go any further, do you have that, uh, do you have that book find spot? This is Barry Farber invading your privacy, please. Do you read to get drowsy, or do you read to keep alert? If you're the kind of person who uses a book for a sleeping pill, then go on back to sleep. You do not need the Book Find Club. Any book club can keep you adequately supplied. But if reading is vital to you, if it keeps you up on what's going on, if reading stimulates you and makes you more stimulating... Write down the phone number that I'm going to issue three times because you'll be in touch with the Book Find Club. And this is a different kind of club. Book Find gives you all the club benefits, great savings on regular hardcover publishers' editions, extra bonus books, convenience. But listen to the books that make up the Book Find Club. They're not afraid of books on politics, race, religion, sexual liberation. The Book Find Club loves books that ought to be bound in asbestos. As an incentive to join now, Book Fine will send you two extraordinary books for just one dollar plus postage and handling. These books, typical of the books we offer, retail for about seventeen dollars. And listen, what you get for your one dollar? Galen, Spy of the Century by E. H. Cookridge. This is the spy story to end all spy stories because it's real, incredibly real. The shocking exploits of Richard Galen, who was a master agent for both Hitler's intelligence service and the CIA. Also. Open Marriage, A New Lifestyle for Couples, written by Nina and George O'Neill. Is marriage on its way out, or are there going to be new way out forms of marriage? Read Open Marriage. Fascinating. Call TN7-1441, TN7-1441 for a trial membership, and get Galen and Open Marriage both for just $1 plus postage and handling. Once a member, you need buy only two more books in a year, always at discounts of up to 30% off publishers' prices, plus postage and handling. Call now, TN7-1441. Operators on duty around the clock, TN7-1441. Or send name and address, no money, to Book Find, Box 2, WOR, New York, 10018. Book Find, Box 2, WOR, New York, 10018. Easy, Barry. Oh, he really gets excited, doesn't he? Just vibrant with uh, with, tr- with with passion and emotion. <laughs> Say, uh, gang, uh, we have a note here, uh, suggestion here to see your local General Tire specialist for a great pre-Labor Day buy on famous General Jet Whitewall tires, and they're having a big sale. Prices start as low as twenty nine dollars and ninety cents for a pair of those long mileage tires in the popular, and everybody loves this size. The popular size six fifty by thirteen. Tubeless White Wall. It's number two on the White Wall tire size hip parade, and uh, everybody loves it. So get down to your local 
General Tire headquarters where you see the big red General Tire G and pick up a pair of these long mileage General Jet White Wall tires soon having their big pre-Labor Day buy. In Brooklyn, see Big Bruce at Gannon Tire, 2360 Flatbush Avenue. Yes, sir. And uh, let's see, we have a, what is this uh, rival thing here, huh? You're the first lady I really tried to pick up. Would you make love to me? He was a man who wanted more than a wife. Mommy, I'm frightened. Can I sleep in your bed? He was a boy who wanted more than a mother. I feel like I'm splitting two. I know that they're oceans apart. She was the prize, and they were the rivals. Do you love me, Mommy? If you want, I'll start having nightmares. I can cuddle up at night with you, huh? And I'll start pulling the bits. Mommy, I'm frightened. Can I sleep in your bed? Please, shut up! Engaged in a desperate struggle. He's hung up on me. Well, yeah, maybe you're hung up on him. They would do anything to win her. And they would stop at nothing. You can't have your mother this way, Jamie. Joseph E. Levine presents Krishna Shaw's Rivals. Starring Joan Hackett, Robert Klein, and Scott Jacoby. Rivals from Avco Embassy Pictures. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Gee, it sounds like a fun picture. See the rival now at the Cinema One Theater, 60th Street on 3rd Avenue. It's very exciting. <laughs> it sounds like a, a takeoff on one of our most recent crimes here in New York. <laughs> oh, man. It's getting wilder by the minute. But, uh, you know, uh, let's, uh, let's go on about the Sweden. It's, uh, you know, my head is filled. You know, one of the things I always do when I take, uh, take a trip around anywhere is, is uh, I carry a portable radio with me. I love to listen to local radio and uh, hear what's going on because you get a sense really of the town in a, in a, in a very real way. Uh, and and uh, most people who travel don't seem to do this. I don't know why, but they just don't. Uh, and, and they would get a lot out of a town if they, if they simply turned down in the morning and uh, hear what's going on. For example, in Stockholm now, all, in fact all over Sweden, the uh, Believe me, Harry James is 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 alive and well on uh, on the Stockholm radio. It, turning on the on the radio, there's a curious sense of like going back through a time machine, and uh, you hear you hear record after record of of uh, of uh, curiously dated American music, like uh, for example, yeah, I actually heard the Andrews Sisters. Yeah, that's right, and not presented as uh, now let's go down memory lane, but this is a you know a contemporary thing, you know. And on come the Andrews sisters, and I I couldn't believe it. It's uh, early morning. I've got the radio on, and uh, uh, one of the big things on Swedish morning radio is a guy that does uh, exercises, and uh, he does them in Swedish, of course, with music behind him. Now Swedish itself is a kind of an amusing sounding language. If you've ever heard Swedish spoken, that that. Sounds like somebody's playing a tape recorder backward at the wrong speed. And so he's he's going along with the music, and the, the music he goes. And I, you know, I can just hear him doing. Yeah, I just see him doing these push-ups back and forth, up and down, and all the Swedes all over Sweden. They're going around, you know, doing the stuff, and and uh, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm listening to the Swedish radio, and and. Uh, the first thing that hit me, of course, about Sweden, uh, it, it gets you the climate right away. It's it's uh, it's cold. I mean, it's it's a cold country, and these people spend a good part of the time, good part of their life, is spent in winter. 
And so they're very oriented to winter. Uh, uh, you don't see much in the way of summer clothing or summer attitudes or anything in Sweden. And, and uh, as you drive along the roads, I'll tell you this, the, the closest I know of in this area to driving in Sweden is to drive along the main turnpike. You get off of the main turnpike at times, and the, the country is very similar. There's tremendous, endless forests of, of dark green uh, fir trees and, and uh, evergreens of one kind or another, and millions and millions of glacial lakes, all surrounded by by these great tree, trees that sort of hang over them and shade them. And you know, they, they have some very civilized rules in Sweden. For example... Uh, in the last three or four years, they've passed a law there that nobody can build, uh, if you have one and you have had it in the past, you're okay. But from here on in, nobody can build a, a, an estate or a house on a lake right on the shore. You can't, you have to be something like uh, oh, 300 or 400 feet back from the shore. That's so that everybody can enjoy the lake. And uh, that's a real nice rule, you know. I kind of like that. And uh, everywhere you go, you, you see these fantastic lakes. And nobody on them. You just don't see people fishing on them. And so, uh, traveling all over Sweden, I saw some stuff that you just don't see in America. For example, one night I stayed in an old country estate of one of the, of one of the early uh, royal families of Sweden. And uh, it, was, it was high on a hill, a tremendous a state that had been built late in the, uh, well, it was built in 1590, as a matter of fact. It was the actual actual uh, date. And these enormous rooms, and I was sleeping up in a room way up on the top, and great formal gardens surrounding it. And down down the down the uh, long sloping path was the, was the lake where in uh, many, many centuries past, and they had woodcuts of them doing it, centuries past, the, the royal family would go out in uh, in in canoes and fish for pike. Uh, that was a big thing. They'd go out with a blunderbuss of all things to fish for pike. But the the Swedes, yeah, the Swedes. I mean, Swedes are were a bloodthirsty race at one time. So don't let their their uh, their uh, peace talk fool you. They they've had their days when they sharpen fangs and everywhere they talk about Vikings and and the whole Viking tradition is still sort of a part of the 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 Swedish scene. But uh, we're sitting in this in this great estate, and we had a traditional, fantastic, traditional Swedish. At this time of the year, it's only this time of year, by the way. Very important moment. I arrived in Sweden, like uh, at uh, at a historic moment, at least for uh, for this particular Swedish tradition. The Swedish go out of their birds over crayfish. Now, I'm talking about crawdads. You know, and I, you, you ever you know what a crawfish is, don't you? Look, crawfish. You've seen these things. Well, to the Swede, the crawfish is one of the supreme uh, culinary rarities and delights, and they have a whole tradition, a whole technique about eating these things, including even decorations. And the windows of all the stores and the towns and in, in that we went through, like Gothenburg and places like well Stockholm, were filled with. Uh, ceremonial uh, displays of these crayfish. Well, how they how they serve them now? Here's here's the way the crayfish is served. It is never eaten unless you you drink endless uh, endless glasses of aquavit with it. Now, aquavit is a, is a, well. Let's put it this way: it's a, not exactly yuhu. 
Uh, in fact, Aquavit will just knock your ears right off your head if you're not careful. It's a, it's it's really, it's really just plain 100 proof alcohol, and it comes in many varieties. Some of it is slightly caraway seed flavored. Some of it is slightly anise flavored. The Swedes, by the way, love anise. It's one of the big things. Another thing that the Swedes love uh, is dill. Everywhere you go. Uh, they have they put dill in everything. In fact, uh, I even asked one of the guys. I says, Eric, do you have dill ice cream here? Say, yeah, 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 yeah. You at some place you get yeah uh, dill ice cream. He thought you know, I was being serious, and, and he, he admitted, yeah, they have a, they have a, they actually get dill flavored ice cream over there. They love the the taste of dill. Well, uh, we we sat down to this meal, and the the Swedes more than anybody I've ever been around. I always thought the Germans were the ones that led in this kind of stuff. But it's a very masculine society. Do you feel that? It's very, very masculine. I mean, uh, and, and the the women, women and the men. There's a kind of a division. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very masculine society. So all the men sit down. The women serve them, and uh, they bring in these great big plates of bright red crawfish. Now, crawfish. If you've never seen a crawfish, some places in the in the country they call them crawdads. But they're little. They look like little tiny lobsters with the way they look. And uh, they're they're served in great mounds. They're very expensive, and they're served in great mounds. They're bright red uh, after they're cooked, of course, on these big platters they bring in. They bring in the bottles of aquavit, and uh, you you eat them with this uh, Swedish brot, uh, this this round, uh, very hard uh, rye. It's something like rye crisp. But there's about 15 varieties of that. You get very uh, you get very attuned to this kind of stuff. And so they bring in a lot of this bread, they bring in the aquavit, they bring in the, the crawfish, and hanging over you is the ceremonial. Now, why this start? Nobody can answer the uh, question why. Even the oldest Swedes there. That it seems that it's uh, ceremonially correct. Whenever you have these uh, crawfish, you uh, decorate your room with what looks like Japanese lanterns that hang from the ceiling. And uh, so here are the Japanese lanterns, and we're drinking the aquavit, well, the, the Swedes, like every five minutes or so, would all of a sudden say, Skull! They'd all raise their glass, Skull! And then they would sing. They, they, the men would all say, Skull! Then they drink down the stuff, and they plunge back into the, into the crawfish. They, they'd sing these drinking songs. Well, I said to, I said to Eric, I said, Eric, what, what, what is the scene? What, what, what is that song about? He says, well, uh, it's about how good the crawfish are and how we should drink more aquavit. I said, well, yeah, that's, that sounds all right. That sounds all right. So, so we started to drink more aquavit. We're eating the crawfish. And suddenly, without any warning, they do it without any warning. Suddenly, without any warning, the, the, another guy down at the other end of the table has school. And they all holler, school. Then they go, they sing another song, completely different song. So I said, gee, that was a nice one, Eric. What was that one about? He said, well, uh, that was, uh, well, that's a traditional song. It's about how you should drink more aquavit and eat more bread. I said, well, that's very nice. <laughs> he says, it's not exactly translatable. Well, by the way, the Eric I was with was a fascinating guy. Uh... He's a very famous man, if you know anything about racing. In fact, he's probably the most famous uh, rally driver to ever come out of rally driving. Fascinating guy. Tremendous shoulders and uh, very straight, cold blue eye. 
and, and a man of, of uh, well, I've, I've been around a lot of people in my time, but I've rarely been around anybody who just radiates steel nerves. His name is Eric Erickson, and uh, probably the most famous rally driver to ever drive out of, uh, out of Europe. You've probably heard of him. Well, Eric, as a matter of fact, was a two-time winner of the Monte Carlo Rally. And uh, he, he, do you remember an incident that happened a few years back where uh, he drove for Saab? He, drove, he drives these fast racing Saabs. Uh, an incident that occurred a couple years back when a car that was leading the East African Safari, which is a great uh, rugged uh, rally across East Africa, was hit by and charged by a warthog and put out of action. Well, this was Eric. And uh, I said to Eric, what happened? He said, well, he said, uh, there's a two in the morning uh, driving along. We're going uh, 115 miles an hour when all of a sudden out of the, he says, out of the brush. He says, there's a black. This, uh, this warthog, he comes charging out. He just charged at me and he hit my car and boom, motor in the back seat. He says, <coughs> it cost me 7,000 pounds. I said, what happened? Just like that, huh? What'd you do then? So well, we sat there and swore. He said, we must have sworn for 15 minutes. Well, uh, as part of this uh, this trip, he, he says, you want to you go for some uh, little uh, test rally driving? Well, now, I've done a lot of driving in my time, and in fact, even did a little racing at one time, sports car racing, but I've never had an experience like the experience that I had with Eric Erickson. He had a, a rally-tuned racing Saab, and I mean really rally-tuned and really racing. It uh, had all, all the all the uh, racing gear in it, completely stripped. That had these slung seats and the whole business with the special harness and roll bars. <coughs> and we went plunging into a, a special rally course outside of Trollhaven, uh, where they build these cars. And I, I've never had a ride in my life like this. We, we must have been going 120 miles an hour on a one, just a little single track gravel road, nothing but S bends and turns, uh, over over uh, over tiny uh, log bridges, on the edges of cliffs, and he's just driving, and I'm just hanging in there, and my helmet is bobbing on my head, and he gets out and he says, uh, "You good? You you ride good?" I said, "Thank you, Eric." Thank you. And uh, I staggered out. But uh, this is this is all part of the Swedish mystique. Uh, you, yes, I know, I know. It's all part of the Swedish thing, this uh, this rally driving. And, and uh, there's a lot of, uh, of uh, curious Swedish sports. For example, during the winter, when the ice is frozen, they love to race cars at each other. At, at breakneck speeds <laughs> on the ice, they they they, uh, they 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 play games of chicken, for example, driving at each other, tremendous speeds, and they just they cheer is cheer each other off, and then they'll go spinning for a half mile down the ice, end over end over end over end, just you know sw uh, swirling their car, attempting to fight control, doing figure eights and stuff. That's the Swedish mentality. Of course, they also have a high suicide rate. So there's probably a close correlation. Uh, do you have that uh, composed dinger in there for today? Imagine me addressing the PTA. The first time I ever spoke in public. You seemed a bit edgy this morning. You should have taken aspirin. But I didn't have a headache. I felt a bit edgy, so I took compose. Compose. Famous for temporary relief of occasional simple nervous tension. 
You never saw such a wonderful audience. A bit edgy at times? Help take the edge off with Compose. Edith, we're only going to the supermarket. Why the hat? I like hats. Supermarket? Come on, what's with your head? Dandruff. And I used a dandruff shampoo two days ago. Maybe yours is tougher than plain dandruff. It can be psoriasis. See your doctor. Sorex medicated shampoo used regularly helps relieve flaking and scaling. Sorex. P-S-O-R-E-X. Tougher than plain dandruff. No hat on supermarket day? I used my head. And Sorex. Sorex shampoo. Tougher than plain dandruff. Well, let's see. We got a couple other dinghies here. <laughs> uh, how about uh, another reminder for your uh, big pre-Labor Day sale that they're having at the General Tire people. They're having a sale on General Jet Lightwall Tires. And uh, they're tremendous sales, matter of fact. Uh, so uh, if you're looking for tires, man, this is your time to buy them down at your big General Tire headquarters. And... We would suggest that if you live in uh, Jersey at Herb Jordan's General Tire of New Jersey, see Frank McDonald on Route 17 and Union Avenue in East Rutherford. Okay, General Tire. And we got one more. We have a, we have a note here for the Mandarin House, and that uh, is easily taken care of. If you're coming into town over this weekend, and uh, this is a, a... I don't often personally recommend things, but I do the Mandarin House because I've been going down there for a long time. And it's one of the best restaurants in America of its type. In fact, the Mandarin House was the first restaurant in America to specialize in Mandarin Chinese dishes. Very special cuisine. Excellent restaurant. And their garden is open now in the hot weather. It's kind of great to sit out there in the garden. And they have a brook. And it's really groovy there. So if you want to try the real greatness of true good Chinese cooking, suggest the Mandarin House. Lunch or dinner. And uh, they're at, uh, on 13th Street in the village, between 6th and 7th Avenues, right down in the heart of the village. village. By the way, that's a nice street there, too. If you've never seen the village, you might start out with uh, 13th Street. 133 West 13th Street, and their phone number is Watkins 90551. Okay, you know, I'd like to... Uh, you can't... I want to do a couple of more shows on uh, Scandinavia, shall I? Or, or am I boring you, Herb? You know, I'll tell you. <clears throat> uh, there's no, there's no country that you can come back from if you're, if you're an experienced traveler. Now, an experienced traveler, there's a big difference between a traveler and a tourist. And uh, anybody who, who travels a great deal knows the difference immediately. And, and as an experienced traveler, you, you, you can't come back with the snap judgments about countries that the. Uh, that the two-week, uh, once-every-ten-years tourist seems to be able to do, like, oh, I love France, or uh, G8 uh, Germany groovy, uh, <laughs> that the, once you become a real traveler, you begin to see all the other sides of things, and you're not as easily convinced. On the other hand, you, you don't put down things that other people do. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the towns that, uh, that... There's a lot of great little towns in Sweden... You know that almost the entire upper third of Sweden is practically, for all practical ten, intents and purposes, is uh, uninhabited. And way up in Sweden, there is a town that is the largest city in, uh, in the world from the standpoint of area. It's only got about 200 people. But it's one giant, it's, they, they've made this enormous city limits, but there's nobody in it, just a few people there, see. And it's, I guess, for the purposes of administration or something, but it's way up in the north. 
where, where the uh, six months of the year there's nothing but total darkness. And if you've ever known, uh, if you've ever known a Laplander, you've known part of Sweden that most of them don't know. And by the way, I grew up in a house. I, I uh, had a very close friend, in fact, a girlfriend at one point uh, for all the years through high school, whose mother was a Laplander. A true Laplander, you know, the slant eyes, the high oriental cheekbones, the strange look and the curious mysticism. And all the Swedes were fascinated by the fact that I, and none of the Swedes had ever had it. There's a dish, there's a kind of fish that the Laplanders make. Uh, literally translated, it means rotten fish. <laughs> and they literally do eat rotten fish. They take herring or uh, perch or some fish, small fish like that, and they put it out in the compost heap and let it get rotten for about six months. Dig it up, and they put a few spices on it, and that's a great delicacy. Well, I've actually had it. Well, the Swedes were fascinated that I'd had this. I told them about it. And, of course, immediately you, you get to be part of the scene, then, you know, when you admit that you've eaten something. In fact, uh, I heard that this stuff was so smelly in certain parts of Sweden, they that you have to get a special permit to open a can of this stuff. I mean, it, it just fumigates the whole neighborhood. People run screaming into the streets. Well, <laughs> I, I kid you not, friend. <laughs> well, tomorrow night, I, I uh, tomorrow night, I'd like to tell you about Trollhaven. Uh, Trollhaven, uh, literally translated, uh, very roughly translated, means uh, home of the trolls. Haven is, is like haven or harbor, and the Trollhaven is uh, is the land of the trolls. And uh, you can you can understand if you've ever read any of the legends of the trolls, you can understand why those legends uh, come completely out of the land of the, the well that area, the the kind of geographical area, the great hills and the roaring streams and the curious remoteness and uh, the mysterious dark skies of Trollhaven. And the water flowing into the green lakes there. You know, five minutes there, and I could see people with fins running around collecting tolls. So, uh, you know, as, as they say uh, in Gothenburg, as they say in Gothenburg, uh, skull, skull. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News. This is the news in detail on the hour from the WOR Newsroom. Quang Tree City fighting goes on. Today, North Vietnamese soldiers attacked South Vietnamese Marine positions in the city with an estimated 2,000 artillery rounds fired at the Saigon forces. In a day's fighting, the Saigon military command said 207 North Vietnamese were killed, 15 South Vietnamese killed, and 58 wounded. The Marines were supported by United States fighter aircraft. Vietnamese forces.